my name is Sam Powdrell, and uh, at the moment I'm an associate professor at the University of Kentucky. But my other life is I worked in Kenya for many years doing eye surgery. Um, and I'm not a physician. I'm a physician assistant. And I started doing eye surgery as a nurse. And so before you all put me out of the room, I'll try to explain the rest of it. Uh, there was no eye surgery person for that area. I worked at Tenwick Hospital, which you've probably heard of if you've been around at all. And I see one of them back there. <laughs> so that's great. It's good to have John with us. He's just come back from Tenwick. He's an eye surgeon that's been there. So um, the, I started the unit back there in 19, uh, 1991. So it's just over 20 years ago. And... Uh, um, and now there's uh, an ophthalmologist full-time there. There's another trained mid-level that's operating and very exciting sort of things that's happening there. T this afternoon I'd like to talk a little bit about um, preventive eye health in the tropics. I will use Tenwick as an example a little bit later on, but uh, I'm going to give you some background. And uh, I don't know, how many, how many docs have we got here? How many nurses? Who's, doc who's a doc? Okay. How many ophthalmologists? Okay. They all sat on the back row. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's good to have you with us. Um, and um, how many nurses here? Oh, good. All right. That's neat. Um, I didn't know quite where to give the presentation, so, but I think, I think it'll be good. I threw in a few little surgical slides. I'm always afraid to do that with a mixed audience because I never know who's going to say, ooh, eyes, I'm not into that. So anyway, uh, we'll see how it goes. Community eye health. Um, this is the scene that I see sometimes out in the community. So what is preventive eye health? What's it all about? Preventive eye health is prevention of blindness and low vision. Uh, sometimes we refer to it as community eye health. So we're looking at a broader scope than just a patient comes in the office, you decide they need surgery, take them to surgery, send them home again. We're trying to look at where these patients are coming from, and especially in the context of the developing world, because many of these people don't come for surgery. They don't come to a clinic. They either can't afford it, it isn't there, um, or it's too expensive. And so that's the kinds of things we're looking at. So what is blind? If we're preventing blindness, and let me just say something about this. Prevention of blindness and low vision, it may be actually preventing the problem happening, or in the case of cataract, it may be preventing it continuing. All right? So that, and the way we stop it can keep them from going blind or staying blind is by surgery in that case, which is a preventive measure at that point. So I just want to clear that up a little bit for you as we go. What is blind? Here in the States, um, a person considered with best corrected vision, note that's with your glasses on, is going to be, um, if they're less than 2200 uh, with their glasses on, we say they're blind here in the States. World Health Organization goes by 2400, so that's half the vision, <laughs> all right? Pretty bad vision, all right? Um, that, really, that means that what you can see clearly at 20 feet, or at 400 feet, rather, this person can only see at 20 feet. Okay, so it's pretty bad vision. Um, we consider uh, impaired vision at 2060, okay? Um, and then we consider severe low vision at 2200. That's all WHO, World Health Organization, uh, levels. So that's what we go by in a lot of the world. Visual acuity, the vital sign of the eye. 
Um, you know, us eye guys, they say we don't know anything above the eyebrows and below the nose. So the vital sign is the visual acuity. So we go by that because it gives you a guideline of what you're, what you're dealing with. You know whether the vision's improved, whether they're getting better, whether they're getting worse, okay? And it's a simple thing to do. And here's a gal covering her eye properly. Uh, the Lord made a nice little dip in the middle of your hand so that when you put it over your eye, it doesn't press on the eye and distort your vision when you take the vision in the other eye. So that's what's going on there. In our world, there's 40 million blind, and on your little prospectus in the sheet, it said 50 million. Um, and that's because Sam Powdrell, when he did his, uh, wrote that thing, he hadn't got up to date on his statistics. And so, actually, the number of blind is actually going down in our world, which is great. It means that something's happening. Things are, are improving. A few years ago, there was a big push to have um, Vision 2020. So, good vision, reduced blindness by the year 2020. And that was, has been a big World Health Organization push. It's an exciting time for people that are in missions and involved in eye care. It really is. But there's a big job to do. And I believe missions is a great avenue to do that through um, because there's a, there's a different motivation than the secular world has to do that. And I think it's, it's, it's a neat motivation. Um, it's a very special one. About 600 go blind every hour in our world. Half of these are blind from cataract. 90% of them live in the developing world. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of statistics, but I'm going to give you some basics. Um, here's a lady that's blind from cataract. What do you see here? Someone quickly, what do you see here? What? Um, I've already told you she's got cataracts because she's got her eyes closed. You can't see that. Very blank look. She doesn't know her surroundings, does she? She's out of touch with her world. What else? Isolation. Isolation. Yes. What else? She's older. Good. Okay, so 80% uh, eight, um, 80 of those that are blind from cataract are over 50. So that's a good thing to note. Anything else? Absolutely. She's afraid. Okay, she doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. A lot of sunshine. Okay, a lot of sunshine. Okay, good point. Okay. And she needs a stick. I was hoping somebody would notice that. She can't get around by herself. She needs somebody to help with mobility. And often that stick is held out like this and someone pulls them along because they can't see where to go. Any others? Malnourishment. Malnourishment. That's another thing that may be involved. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the visually impaired in our world, there's a, they estimate that there's 285 million visually impaired. Um, out of those, about most of them, are uncorrected refraction. That means they need glasses, simply need a pair of glasses. And so if you're thinking about vision things overseas, one of the simplest things you can do is find somebody that's good at doing glasses overseas, um, that knows how to do them efficiently, doesn't get into a lot of fancy refractions, but does a simple refraction that does a lot of good. Okay, that's what you need to look for if you're in a clinic and, and you're seeing people that have refractive problems. The rest of the cause, all the other causes are then in there. Um, here's some of the causes of blindness. Uh, cataract is about half of the world blindness. Now, that's, that's tragic. Refractive problems is tragic because it's simple to fix. But most people can't afford the glasses, right? The other tragic thing is cataract is, is treatable. We can do a 10, 15-minute surgery and, and help these people see again, okay? Um, but it's not happening in half of our world. 
or half of the blindness in the world is from cataract. The other biggies that are there are glaucoma. Um, that's a hard one. It's hard even for, for professionals to know what to do in the developing world with glaucoma. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more of that. Childhood blindness is a big one. Um, sorry, let me go up a little bit. Um, uh, age-related macular degeneration, that's what AMD stands for. Uh, that's a big one here in the States. It's our, our largest cause of blindness here in the States. Um, and then there's, then there's corneal things like trachoma, uh, corneal scarring from injuries or, or one thing and another. Uh, that comes in there. Diabetic retinopathy is greatly on the rise in our world. Um, childhood blindness, it's not a huge one on the list, Childhood blindness comes in there, about 3.9% um, of the blindness. But you think about it, an old person with cataracts, once they get cataracts, they may live five years. Okay, they have a shortened life expectancy. But somebody that is blind with childhood blindness, it often happens in the first year of life. If that child doesn't die by the time they're five, which often does happen, they may have a life of 70 years of blindness. So in terms of the burden or of blindness, sometimes is what we use the term, that's a huge burden, 70 years for one person. And so in terms of years of blindness, childhood blindness is a big deal. Okay. Some other things that we see are trachoma, which is on the decrease, and onchocerciasis. 80% of the blindness in our world uh, is... Um, in the developing, uh, um, sorry, 80% is the developing world. I think I, the other slide said 90, actually. But uh, the 60% um, of it is treatable. Either uh, you can uh, do a surgery, do something to try and treat it. Another 20% is uh, um, preventable. And those are the things like the corneal scarring. Once somebody has a corneal scar, it's very difficult to do anything about that. Here in the States, they'll do a corneal transplant. But overseas, that's a very difficult thing to do anything about. And, uh, and I've tried to get corneal transplants done, um, and just the follow-up is horrendous. And, and often you end up with a failure after all the effort. So, um, but that's a, that's a lot of the, prevent, uh, the preventable stuff, is preventing the trachoma blindness to begin with. Here's what's happening with global blindness. The trends are kind of changing. Uh, cataract is actually on the decrease because we've been doing a better job about uh, doing the surgeries. Glaucoma is increasing, um, and that's a, that's a complicated one. Uh, age-related macular degeneration, glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy. Why do you think all those might be increasing? Our world's getting older, exactly, so that's good. Um, and that's what's happening. Corneal is decreasing, so we're seeing less trachoma problems. Um, refractive errors are increasing because we're getting a world that has more and more people that have a harder time paying for glasses, and so that's what's happening. Um, trachoma, I've actually put it there as a separate one. It is decreasing. It used to be the number two cause of blindness, and see where it is now? It's way down the list. There's a little story to it, and I'll, I'll go into that in a, in a minute. Onchocerciasis is a bad one in West Africa. So if any of you work in West Africa or are going to work in West Africa, onchocerciasis affects every part of the eye. It's a small part of the blinding disease, but in West Africa it's a huge um, burden of blindness. It's caused by a filarial worm. 
they get the little filarial worms. The adults make little nodules, but the micro baby filaria, they get into the eyes and they damage every part of the eye, from the cornea all the way back to the optic nerve. It's a devastating disease. Um, but thankfully, with with medications it's, and and donations from the uh, drug companies is actually decreasing. So that's a neat one. Vitamin A deficiency also decreasing, uh, though it's still around and something you need to think about, and it affects children. Okay, let's kind of look at what's happening here. Um, you say, so why are all these blind people in the developing world? Well, here's, here's the story that we've got. Here in the States, um, there's about one, in, uh, one blind in a 1,000. In Africa, it's about one blind in a hundred. So why so many more? Is there more, they just get more of them get blind, more have troubles? Well, not really, not really. Um, the other thing in Africa is that one, for every one that's blind, there's another one that's severely visually handicapped. And actually, if you think about it, um, there's one blind, there's one deaf, there's one mentally handicapped, and there's one physically hand- handicapped, so 4% of the population have those major handicaps. So that's something, uh, if you're in a a clinic or or service area overseas, that's something to think about. It's a huge area that is being largely untouched. Uh, Here in the States, there's one eye doctor for 20,000 people, and I would would guess that that number is probably going down. Um, In most of Africa, there's one eye doctor for 1 million people. And where I was when I started at Tenwick, I, I was the only eye surgeon. I wasn't even a doc. And I was the only eye surgeon for a million people. Um, So that number holds pretty true throughout Africa. Um, Here in the States, there's about close to 6,000 cataract surgeries being done for every 1 million people. Okay, And the way that turns out, basically we're operating just about all of the cataracts. There's a few people that don't want theirs done. But just about all of them are getting done. So we look at a population that there's a lot of hungry ophthalmologists, and we do all the cataracts. We get them all done, all right, in a year. Yeah, so about 6,000 in a million people. In Africa, only 300 are getting done for every million people. So you see where the problem is? There's a backlog, and that's basically what the problem is. And that's why there's such a need for community eye health. Um, is that uh, I believe that's the number of people, but I, and you've got a very, the point he's making is we have two eyes, and usually both eyes get cataracts, so I probably ought to check on that one, but that's a good point. Um, I think it is the number of people, yeah. Um, The uh, blindness from cataract can be prevented. And here's a man with cataracts. Uh, he's got uneven pupils. He doesn't have a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Um, we've dilated one of them for surgery, all right? So that's why that looks like that. Um, but it shows you what they look like. Very white. This isn't on the cornea. A lot of people have the misconception it's a corneal opacity. No, it's the lens inside. You'll see that you can see all of the iris there. And so the, the lens is behind there, all right? And that's what we're dealing with with cataract. And we actually... Um, remove that lens or part of the lens, as, we're, as you'll see in a bit. Here's a case of trachoma. Trachoma uh, used to be a major cause of, uh, it's still a major cause of world blindness, but it is decreasing. It used to be 600 million people were infected. A lot of uh, young people, kids, 
It's a self-limiting disease, so all of those didn't go blind. That's why we don't have 600 million blind people in our world, okay? Um, it's a self-limiting disease, but for those that do go blind, it is a very devastating disease. And here's a lady with corneal scarring and, and a lot of corneal problems. Basically what happens, scarring happens underneath the eyelid from chlamydial infection, causes the eyelashes to turn in, and then the lashes scrub on the eye, and basically it's like a brush on the cornea. So it, uh, that's, the, that's the mechanism of blindness that happens. It's preventable. It's hard to treat at this point. Really, you can't. But it's preventable. And it's preventable simply with water. So where do you think you might find this problem? Areas that there isn't much water, right? Or hard to go get. And so... And basically, here's the little kid that's got the active disease, passes it to the mom that's carrying him, and she gets reinfected with each kid, then with her grandkids, uh, and then the other kids she takes care of, and finally um, the mother goes blind. The little kid, if that's a boy, he gets out in the fields, he gets away from the home situation, his clears up, but his mom goes blind. Okay. So that's the situation. Here's a glaucoma. One of the youngest glaucoma patients I actually have, have seen uh, with is actually open-angle glaucoma. And I'm not going to go into all the detail of the glaucomas, but it's chronic glaucoma. We see a lot of it among the uh, darker races, and you find a lot of glaucoma. And this lady was actually bilaterally blind, already blind from glaucoma. So what's the message here? You can't. You can't uh, treat it and make them get better, but you can prevent it. Um, here in the States, we prevent it with drops, okay? Now, somebody out in the African bush to keep them taking drops every day for the rest of their life, a drop that costs them a significant amount of money every month isn't going to happen, okay? And so we'll talk about what we do about that in just a second. Here's the refractive error, okay, which is better, one or two. And she was quite intent on getting it right. <laughs> measles is, is an interesting one. It's at the middle of a whole scenario of um, uh, blinding problems. Measles is kind of in the middle. Um, you have associated vitamin A deficiency, associated measles, scarring, associated um, herpes simplex virus that's opportunistic at the time of the measles and also uh, in a lot of uh, rural areas there's harmful eye practices that actually end up causing blindness for some of these kids. So this is probably the biggest mechanism of blindness with our children. And can it be prevented? Absolutely. In many countries, fortify foods that are common with vitamin A. The problem is the ones that get it the worst are the uh, 1 to 18 month olds because Breast milk has a lot of vitamin A, and, and the developing world is great for breastfeeding. They do it right, okay? We're trying to learn from them, okay? They do it right. But after that kid reaches a year and they start giving them uh, just a, a plain cereal that has very little vitamin A, the stores of vitamin A run out in about six months. So between a year and six months is where we see the worst problems with vitamin A and important for fortification. These are the... These are the uh, veggies that will help you uh, avoid that. Um, I'm going to try and give you plenty of time here to ask questions, so I'm going to try and get through here uh, in good time. Some of the procedures that we're looking at to deal with these, so I've sort of talked about the main blinding problems. There's one other I'd like to mention that I haven't got a slide for, and that's pterygium. 
Most of the world, pterygium, and you may not know what that is, it's where the conjunctiva or the, the um, clear part over the sclera begins to grow over the cornea. Um, and it often doesn't cause um, a, a big problem. But in, if you're in the Far East, uh, Thailand um, and Korea, in some of those countries through there, it is a big deal. And I'm not... I haven't worked there. I'm not quite sure why it's so big there, but you will find that that is a, a site-threatening problem in those countries. In other countries, it is some, uh, but it's, it's more in those countries, and that's one of their major causes of blindness. It doesn't go on the list because it, it, it is a smaller percentage, but if you're there, that, that is a problem. Okay, as far as the, um, what, some of the procedures that we do, for trachoma, we do a little uh, surgery. I said the lashes uh, brush on the eye and cause blindness. So what we do, we turn the eyelid up, we make a little incision, and we undermine both ways and turn just the tip of the, the lid out, the inside tip of the lid out, which causes the lashes to go back out. It's a little plastics procedure. takes a few minutes. You suture it down like that and let them go, and it turns those lashes back out so that they don't get scarring. That's right now is one of the best preventive things to do. If you want to remember what to do for trachoma, it's called SAFE. Okay, So surgery for the middle-aged women that are getting trachiasis, which is the turning in of the lashes, antibiotics, okay, um, and then uh, you um, face washing is your F, so S, so surgery, antibiotics, face washing, and then the last one is clean up the environment. If you've got cattle and flies in the environment, you've got a higher risk of trachoma transmission. Okay. So, um, for glaucoma, basically our treatment overseas in the developing world is to do um, surgery. We do trabeculectomies, and if you're an ophthalmologist here in the States, you're, you're probably gasping at that as a first-line treatment for, for glaucoma. But that is what we do because of the follow-up problems. So once we have an established glaucoma case, most, uh, most docs, uh, most ophthalmologists are working overseas in the developing world are doing trabeculectomies. Okay. Basically, uh, what that is is a little operation. We split the, a little piece of the sclera half thickness, make a hole in the eye, pull the flap back down, suture it down like that, and the fluid leaks out into, under, the, under the conjunctiva um, and back into circulation. It's, it's, it's sort of micro-plumbing is what it amounts to. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, cataract, and this is our big remember, it's half of our blindness, so this is where our attention really needs to be spent. Remember I said glaucoma, we can't really make it better. So if you go out chasing all the black glaucomas, if they come to your clinic, absolutely treat them. But if you go out building a program on that, they will not see better after surgery. In fact, many times they see worse. So are you going to build a good eye program on that? It doesn't matter what you tell them about them not seeing better. They're going to go home and say, I had this operation and I'm still not seeing good. So do you think the cataract patient is going to come in? Absolutely not, because the other one went for surgery and didn't get better. So don't build a program, just a word to the wise, don't build a program on glaucoma. Try and build it on cataract surgery, okay? That's really important. Trachoma is a big one. If you've got it in your area, 
do something about that. You can do the surgeries for that. They're, they're fairly straightforward surgeries. The cataract, what we're doing is the small incision, the manual small incision cataract surgery. It's the one I've been doing for a lot of years until I came to the States where I don't have the right piece of paper, so I'm not doing them here. And not too many people want those done here. They want the fancy FACO uh, surgeries done here. Um, let me just say something to you. Here, FACO is absolutely standard of care. But it, it is very difficult in the developing world in many situations because of the cost of the machine, the kind of fluids you've got to use, and the amount of fluids that you use, the, the, the tubing, uh, trying to get tubing. All of that just totally puts the cost of doing it through the roof. The other thing is, you saw that guy I showed you a picture that had cataracts and they were so dense and white. Many of the FACO machines will not deal with that. Now, some of the newer ones are doing a good job with it, but it's harder, and it takes a lot more energy. They end up having uh, more hazy corneas if you try doing a cataract like that than, than, um, than doing it with the small incision, manual incision. The manual incision, we do a little tunneled surgery. We go in, we take the nucleus and the cortex out of the lens, leave the lens capsule behind, um, and then we take an interocular lens. Um, we take one step behind the, the uh, state-of-the-art. The state-of-the-art is about a $300 lens. These are we, you, get from, you can get from India uh, for about 6 to $8. So that's what we use in Africa, right? Um, the difference in the incision is a 4-millimeter incision versus an 8-millimeter incision, all right? And so but it's a fixed lens. It's not foldable. So you won't see 20-20 within an hour of surgery, like you might here, okay? But the, within a very short time, they'll get down to a very good vision again, okay? And I get a lot of mine that are 20-20, okay? And they, with, with good surgery and careful care, you're going to get them down to 20-20, okay? Um, the, you make a tunneled incision. We put that lens in. Um, most of the time, I don't even use a suture because of the way I construct the wound. And I'll try and show you here. And, uh, um, okay, I'll probably see it in a minute. I need to get done here so that you have time for questions. Okay, Tenwick uh, is an example I'd like you to look at. Um, give you an idea, it's about a million people in the, in the larger catchment area. Um, about 1% of those are blind. Uh, about 1% are uh, severely visually handicapped, so it sort of meets what I was telling you earlier. And half of these are from cataract, which is pretty consistent. Um, so we're getting, considering two eyes, back to your two eyes, we're um, getting about 2,000 cases a year uh, that need to have surgery. And I think, uh, John, did they reach 2,000 this year? Yeah. yeah, okay. We've just started reaching our 2,000 a year that we're doing. So we're, we're just getting the, bat, the new ones. So all that backlog still isn't getting done. All right. I was doing about 1,800, about 800 when I was there. And uh, so we weren't even doing the new cases. They're just now getting to doing the new, the new cataracts that are coming, let alone all the backlog. Okay. So you can see the situation that's happening. Okay. There is actually been two people there operating. There's a mid-level and, and a um, U.S. board-certified eye surgeon. Here's our line of patients waiting for cataract surgery. Uh, we use a very simple microscope. This is portable. It weighs um, about 30 pounds, 
and it's portable. And now they've actually come up with a better light system using LEDs that is, you can run off very little uh, power, and they're, they're very, very efficient. We use a simple system. I have a little tray of instruments that's about this much, um, and uh, that's what we do our surgery with. Um, here's the, just a quickie on it. Here's the cataract. Uh, it's dense. If, if you don't like surgery, you can shut your eyes for the next three slides, um, and uh, we'll go for it. So um, I've just put the end result here. You can kind of see the, the incision going across here. Basically, we make that incision. It's a frown incision. Actually, this one looks fairly flat. And, probably, and then you go in tunnel in here so that you actually enter the eye up in here. And when the pressure, you put fluid back in the eye, it shuts that wound. And that's why there's no stitch there. And you can see that eye is full. What you're seeing here is the interocular lens. And then right here is the capsule uh, that we've torn the top out of the capsule. But that's holding the new lens. It's actually right in the position where the old one was. And uh, they get a real nice result. The red that you're seeing behind is the reflection of the retina. And this was a patient like that one that you saw at the beginning that had that dense white cataract. Well, that was, that was what he was before the surgery. And there he is at the end of the surgery. So do you guys just do blocks? For we do a retro block. Some do peribulbors, which are um, not quite as deep around, um, or retrobulbar. Yep. And then, if you don't know what that is, we put a needle in right here. Go about an inch and a quarter. You don't want to go an inch and a half, otherwise you reach the optic nerve. An inch and a quarter right here, and it anesthetized behind the globe. And it, they don't see, and the eye doesn't move. And hopefully it lasts till you get done. So. <laughs> no, it does. It does, unless you take a very long time. Okay, here's lid surgery done in some very uh, basic conditions uh, often. I talked about um, doing, the, uh, doing glasses, and uh, one of the keys to doing glasses, you can transport a lot of glasses, you can buy them out. Some China is actually selling a, lot, selling a lot of very cheap glasses, but we still have a workshop. And this was a little, originally it was a, a pedal grinder that I put a motor on and made a bench for, and uh, that's what we make our glasses on. And it's a simple system that works well. We, we, um, we buy the frame and then edge the glass to fit it. And, that's, and there's a lot of different mechanisms. Some people are uh, making uh, cheap frames, uh, low-cost frames. I should say low-cost frames. Cheap, that's probably better, and that sounds better. All right. Um, happy lady with some glasses. We consider, the gift of, we consider sight a right here, but it's a privilege in much of the world, and that's something we need to remember. Um, several years ago, Alma Atta, about in the 1980s, uh, this was sort of the abbreviation after uh, days of talking. It basically came up that the service needed to be available to the people. It needed to be acceptable, something that they're going to be willing to do. It needed to be appropriate. In other words, you can't take a lot of high-tech stuff there. Some of the places I worked in, uh, I could only take 100 um, kilograms by helicopter, and that included my microscope, my, ex uh, my exam table, or my operating table, our food, our water, everything, instruments, drapes, everything. That's not very much weight. Um, and so it needs to be something that's appropriate that we can do in a small area without a lot of, uh, lot of extra trappings and equipment and needs to be affordable to the people. Much of what we're doing in, uh, worldwide, especially in Africa, is subsidized, but I know at 10-week we try and charge them something so there's ownership. 
Um, but it, it, a lot of it's going to have to be subsidized, and that's something that you think through. Large numbers of people are blind um, uh, from cataract. Uh, many don't come, and these are some of the reasons. It isn't available. Um, surgeons, they go in and don't know that manual small incision procedure. And so, for instance, and the classic one, sadly, are, are FACO surgeons that haven't learned that procedure, and they end up going in and they cause a lot of damage. Um, others are poorly trained local people, and some of those are mid-levels, like myself, um, and they'll end up uh, not knowing the procedure well, not being supervised well enough, and end up causing a lot of damage. That does a lot of harm for your cataract um, surgery. Once they hear about one or two bad surgeries, you, you lose a community, and so that's a very important thing. Cost, distance, a lot of them say, I don't have somebody to bring me, an escort, and many just are afraid, uh, like the little lady you saw at the beginning. Okay. Taking surgery to the community uh, that doesn't have a functioning static service. Um, if there's not a service, we've got to take it to them or else transport them. Uh, taking a service to them has its inherent problems sometimes. Um, uh, transport, as, uh, so sometimes we transport the team and go to the people. Sometimes we transport the patients to come to us, which is a better use of surgeon time if you're going to do that. Uh, you have to think, of, if you're going to take the service to them, you've got to think about cleanliness, water, food, power source, all of that stuff. Um, and instruments. Who's going to fix your instruments out there? So you better have basic ones. If you take a fancy, fancy equipment, nobody's going to fix it for you. Um, I spent... Uh, uh, most of my time in Kenya, or I spent time while I was in Kenya fixing the instruments for four hospitals, for four eye units, um, because there was no way to do that. Uh, we transport patients in or transport our team up there, and that's a, that's a neat way. This was a real blessing to us. Here's a lady thrilled uh, because she's now seeing again. She came six days through the bush, blind. Her son led her, pulling her along with a stick. Um, and when she started, when I took that bandage off the next morning, she started dancing. Beautiful sight. That's, that's the sight that makes it worth it for me. And this group there, they started singing, and it was the most fabulous sight. Uh, that many of them were singing, singing again, and they began singing Christian songs, and they were dancing, and it was just, it was really an interesting time. And many times it's a time when they're also uh, open to, to talk about spiritual things. And we usually work through uh, existing uh, ch churches and church people that are there uh, to, to share the gospel through um, those, those uh, camps and, and so on that we do. Okay. Missions, we can do something about this. We've got excellent hospitals, some of the best in the world, in the developing world. We've got excellent local training programs. We've got good community rapport because we have a Christian message. Um, and we have good spiritual care and we have dedicated clinicians and staff. I've got to say the best, some of the best docs I've worked with anywhere have been in missions, and that's been a privilege. The last slide, the man that's seeing his hand for the first time in, in many years uh, from cataract. Okay. Boy, I was supposed to give you 20 minutes for questions. I'm sorry about that. All right, yes. <coughs> Um, for a child under one, you give 100,000 units, 
100,000 international units. Uh, for a pregnant mother, you can give 100,000. Um, for a child over one, you can give 200,000 international user, units, and you can do it about every six months. And they just need one pill? Actually, what we normally do is we give one today, one tomorrow, and one in two weeks, all right? And then, then that should hold them for a while. And then in one in two weeks, yeah. you only need three right. every six months. It can be toxic if you get too much of it. And so uh, that's sort of the regimen we go with. If a child comes in with measles or a burn or um, is malnourished, you probably ought to do the same regimen for them. So, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Um, ivermectin. It's a drug called ivermectin. Yes, that's absolutely right. It was. A, you're you're completely right. It it was a it was a, a veterinary drug before. In fact, what was happening in West Africa, they were buying, uh, they were getting the ones from from the clinic free, and they were giving them to their animals. <laughs> so they were. Um, I don't remember the dose on that. It's been ages since I've worked with it. But it's a single tablet. Um, I think if there's heavy infestation, they give another one. But I don't remember. I think it's several weeks. Once. That's right. It's once a year. You're right. It's been years since I've worked with it. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, in Haiti, they were giving ivermectin to children with scabies. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting one. Any other questions? Yes. We haven't found a real good one. Um, aspirin is actually mildly protective, so take that aspirin a day that your cardiologist tells you to do. It may help with your cataracts. But we really haven't found anything. If you find a good thing, you, you, may, you may set yourself up well. <laughs> okay. We haven't. So still surgery is the way to go. We just, everybody basically gets them. Uh, your lens, depending on how old you are, is getting more and more dense, and it's just a matter of time until you end up with a cataract. So it's a pretty universal disease if you live long enough. Good, good point, and I didn't make uh, much of that. But there is, a, there is an association with sunlight, um, with pterygium, and actually it also has to do somewhat with the latitude, so the reflected light off the land and the surface and snow and whatever, um, which is an interesting one. Um, so have them wear dark glasses if they're in a bright environment, wear a cap, those sorts of things. Yeah. Yes. Is there any kind of like, kits for glasses construction, like you could use at your hospital to grind those lenses? Um, there are. Um, I I can't think of one just right offhand because we were, we were just buying our lenses. Uh, but um, if you're wanting to get low-cost lenses, you get um, acrylic lenses that are injection-molded. And China's selling them. India sells them. Um, and, and that's the easiest thing. The grinder is uh, just a, a diamond wheel uh, with a belt and a motor. And then the housing around it has to run in water. And uh, it has to have a little bit of water on it, and that's what we use for edging the glasses. And then it's just a matter of technique. Yeah. Yes? I have a little trick, Sam, for people who have, who have access to surgery, and I'm totally buying from the 
terror, I should give them sunglasses, help dilate up their pupil a little better, maybe see their own terror. Excellent point. Um, yeah, sometimes uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. When, they, when a person with early cataracts goes outside, their pupil constricts. And so if that cataract is a central opacity, they don't see anything. Glare is also another big deal because it hits that cataract, and instead of going straight through, it scatters everywhere. And so you get this horrible problem with glare. Um, so sunglasses is actually help because it dilates the pupil a bit and gives you a chance to look around that cataract until it gets bad enough so that you can't do that any longer. That's a great suggestion. What's the trachoma? You were talking about the mom being reinfected every time she has another uh-huh. child. Uh, how does it just go away with the child? Okay. With the child, it's, it is a self-limiting disease. In other words, they get an infection. It gets inflammatory. It causes a little tiny bit of scarring. And then if they're not reinfected from another child or something, then it, then it will die away. It will go away. But the problem with the mother is she has her own kids. They're infected from kids and flies and whatever. Then she, um, and she has a whole series of kids. And then she becomes a grandmother. Well, and, and then as it goes, so she's had, so it's the repeated infections that cause the bad scarring that cause the lashes to turn in. Yes? Um, for the We follow them as, as long as we can. Um, however, I can tell you uh, there's some of them that we don't get follow-up on. And the key to doing, if, uh, for any of you that are doing trabeculectomies, uh, we try to do between a 4 and a 5 millimeter flap um, so that it's a wider trabeculectomy that a lot of people do. You, end, you may end up with a little bit of a soft eye afterwards, but you can put a pressure bandage on until that picks up a little bit. Um, it's better to have a little bit of a soft eye than not a big enough flap because it is going to heal in a little bit. Um, having said that, I uh, did a man, uh, um, I'd seen him three times, every time he was losing another uh, line of vision on the chart. So the next time I went to his uh, village, I laid him out on a church bench and I did both eyes, which I rarely do because if your instruments are infected, if you infect the eye, you're going to infect both of them. That's not a cool thing to do. So I usually only do one, but he'd he'd come back. He was losing vision every time. I did both eyes on a church bench the same day, and I didn't see the guy for five years. And uh, five years later, I ran across him. I checked his pressures. They were 14 in both eyes. Normal is 10 to 20, so, and he was running 35, 40, I don't know what he was, way up there. So, that's, so it, it does work. It's a good procedure, but it does take, take some practice. Um, one of the things that will really mess you up is bleeding, so you need to control your bleeding well when you're doing that procedure, um, and just do it carefully, and, and you know, that's it. There's a couple of things you can do. Um, with the pterygium, the, the conjunctiva has grown onto the cornea. So what we do, it's just a, you just take a blade and it separates quite nicely from the cornea. And you, you, it takes the epithelium with it, but that comes right back again. It grows back. And what, what I usually do is I cauterize, cauterize way back at the base. Um, and then um, with good cautery, I'll take it back, snip it off, and then often leave the sclera bare back there and let it re-epithelialize. Some people take them and turn them under, and that 
they say it helps it to grow back the other way and not come back on the cornea. So those are a couple of things for what they're worth. When you were in Africa, did you have any problems with the established eye doctors? <laughs> the biggest problem um, was that sometimes they would try to do a weekend or a quickie out in the rural area and then no follow-up. And that's a real problem. Um, you need, if you're going to have cataract surgery, if you're going to have surgeons coming in, you need a nurse or somebody that can follow these up as best as they can. You can't always follow everybody up, but there needs to be somewhere to send the difficult cases to, uh, the complications. The more eye surgery you do, the more complications you're going to get. No surgery is 100% without complications. So in the best hands, there is some complication. And when you're looking at working in marginal areas, that's increased as well. So, yes? When I went out to Kenya, ophthalmologists, I had taken some eye training in, in England, but it wasn't surgical. I actually had a surgical component. Um, when I got out to Tenwick, there was, there was nobody to do stuff. And so um, I, ophthalmologists taught me how to do the surgeries. And then um, I, I was doing them gradually. I also had a team coming in regularly, as often as I could, from the, from the teaching hospital. Um, and then I actually came back and talked, the government had me come back to the States. I took my uh, physician assistant training here. And with that, they registered me as an ophthalmic clinical officer and let me take the cataract surgery course in Kenya. So my credentials are actually in Kenya. So, yeah. so that's kind of what I did. <laughs> so, so I tell people I got into ophthalmology by the back door, maybe a shade tree me- ophthalmologist instead of a shade tree mechanic, something like that. Okay. You're welcome to go. Um, I've gone over the time. You're welcome to go. Feel free to come by.